Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for this day. And I do know that for some of us here are hurting in a variety of ways. I pray for healing today, Lord, in your people. I pray, Lord, as we come together, we share with each other and we, we laugh and we have fun. But for some deep inside, there's a lot of pain, a lot of stress. And so, Lord, I pray that today you will heal some of that stress. I pray, Lord, this will be a time of healing, a time of, of just reflecting and, and really understanding that you are in our midst. And I pray, Lord, that this message will bring you glory and honor, that you might use me to proclaim your word. And in it, Lord, that we can find some of those wonderful nuggets of truth of your love and your presence with us to fill us and encourage us that as we leave today, we'll be stronger and willing to serve you and to serve each other that bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The 9-11 terrorist attack coordinated by 19 militant extremists is remembered in America and by others around the world. These radical extremists hijacked, as we know, four commercial airliners. Two crashed into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York. The third crashed into the Pentagon, America's military headquarters in Arlington, Virginia. Now the fourth, the fourth was intended to strike some uh, federal building. Now speculation is they were heading toward Washington either to take out the White House or the U.S. Capitol. What, 3,000 people were killed in these terrorist attacks. But that one flight that was to go to the federal building, that never happened because of the courageous passengers and crew of, Fl of Flight 93, led by a passenger, Todd Beamer. And for those of you, can you remember where you were when this all took place? I think most of us can. It's like if you lived in the days of some of you having, when, when JFK was assassinated, I knew exactly where I was when that news flashed that, that Kennedy was shot. And I can remember watching TV, and, and you can also remember the horrific images of seeing the towers burning and crumbling, and for me, it's still, I think of this in my mind, even to this day, people jumping to their deaths from tower windows, and one image keeps coming back to me, 
of a man that was that jumped to his death. The look in his face, I'll never forget, was just horrifying. And many people today believe that there's going to be another terrorist attack that's going to hit our country, and it could be even greater in terms of destruction than what happened at 9-11. That it's coming. And it could be. We don't know. It could very well be. Some people say, well, you have open borders that people can just waltz right through from all different areas of the world. That could be. But one thing is sure that we can be sure of and find comfort in that God is in control. That no matter what happens in our world, how frightening it may be, that God is in control. And that's my first thought. It goes right into the idea that God is in control. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel uh, chapter 38. But if you look at chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, they, they remind us that no matter what happens in this uncertain and chaotic world that we live in, nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing catches him by surprise. What you are going through, what I'm going through, doesn't catch God by surprise. He knows what he knows what he knows. So let's look at Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 6. It's the Lord's great victory over the nations. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I, will, I am against you, Gog, chief prince, uh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and a great horde with a large, small shield, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, Cush, Put will be with them with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togamah from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. This prophecy begins with a list of nations. And these nations, according to the prophecy, will one day uh, join together to destroy Israel. Now, put mentioned here, you know, is modern-day Libya. Persia is modern-day Iran. And then, then some commentary they put in Ethiopia in there, which is modern-day Sudan, part of it, as well as portions of Somalia, Meshach and Tubal and, and, uh, and Beth Togamah are also linked to modern-day Turkey. So we have all these things lined up. But it's interesting because so much has been written about verse 2. You know, who is the chief leader of Gog and, and Magog? Who is that person? A lot of talk, a lot of rattling about that. But I just want, want to share this with you. And that is, it says, Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Most scholars believe, there again, this is the coalition leader that's going to lead this group of nations 
But we have to be very cautious here because as you read all of this about this prophecy, some of these nations were not certain were, you know, who were involved in this great battle that's going to take place. But one thing that we know for sure is going to happen, and that is this event will happen. And Israel will be victorious. That is the prophecy according to God's plan, his purpose, and control. God controls everything. Sometimes we want to know all the details, but we need to understand that we don't have all the details. All we know is when God, when God prophesies, it, it's 100% true. Not 95%, not 94%, but 100% accurate. It's going to happen. Amen? So, so we have all these things happening with, with 9-11 that was going on today. There's a lot of fear out there, a lot of speculation, what's going on. And I'm just saying that, my goodness, this has been going on since biblical time. Can you imagine when this prophecy of Ezekiel was given, what he was thinking? You know, you know it would just blow your mind. So these things have been happening throughout history. Bad things happen in life because of the fall. And it's going to continue to happen as long as we live on this planet. But that's only part of it. It's all the other part is that God is faithful, that God is in control. And that leads us to number two. God holds our destiny in, really in the palm of his hands. Let's look at Psalm 121, verses 1 through 4. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. This also is for us not just for, for Israel. The psalmist sees a journey through the mountains of Jerusalem filled with loneliness and anxiety. Our journey today is filled with sometimes loneliness, sometimes anxiety, sometimes frustration, sometimes doubt, sometimes pain, sometimes fear. Uh, what's going on? That's the journey. Going back to verse 1. I lift my eyes to the mount, to mountains or hills. Where does my help come from? The psalmist is asking, who's going to help in this time of anxiety and fear? Who is going to help? Verse 2. Again. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. These two verses, this verse, number two for me, is the answer to the cry in verse one. Our help comes from, from one above, the one who orders the stars, the one who made the heavens and earth and everything that dwells in it. He's the one. Verses three and four, he will not let your foot slip. He watches over you, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, you and me, 
will never slumber nor sleep. These verses stress that God is our what? He's our keeper. God is our firm foundation. God is our security. God is our salvation. God is our rock. Our destiny is in the hands of the one, of the one who watches over us 24-7. Why? Because we are the apple of his eye. We are in Christ his chosen. We are his children. We have rights. As the child of God, we have rights and access to him each and every day, whatever you are going through. Understand, my brother and sister in Christ, that you have rights. You have rights in Christ. Amen? And amen. Number three, we're really going through this, the three, three, three points. Divine priority, Matthew 6, 33 and 34. How many times have you read Matthew 6, verses 33 and 34? I'd been to say, if you've been a Christian a long time, you've probably read, that, read this hundreds of times. Jesus' words, and boy, I tell you, we need to hear this a hundred times plus a hundred times because all of us are guilty of worry. Aren't we? You ever worry? I'm guilty. I've worried. And sometimes I still do. So shoot me. You know, and I've heard this, this verse umpteen times, but it doesn't change the fact of the truth that, is, that Jesus is trying to convey in this. Jesus is saying to me, and he's saying to you, why worry? Why worry? But Lord, but Lord, no, you don't understand God in this world. No, why worry? So let's look at this. Don't mean to yell at you, Jan. I didn't. <laughs> Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, I love this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's go back to verse 4. In verse 4, Jesus used the word, therefore. Someone once said, when you see the word, therefore, you should see what it's there for. You know, think about that. Jesus is trying to make a point here. Seeking Jesus in our daily needs is the answer, listen, is the answer to our natural tendency to worry. Seeking Jesus in our daily needs, for our daily needs, is the natural tendency, answer for our natural tendency to worry. Why do we worry? Why do I worry? Sometimes I can worry about this. the silliest things. How about you? You know? We worry about all these crazy things because Satan can get in there and he kind of twists the knife and he's the accuser and say, see, 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 Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, but yet you're worrying. 
you know, why do you worry? He's got the answer, but you still worry, worry, worry. Well, we're human, whatever. But that does not change the fact that there's no excuses. When I worry, I believe that my faith is, is wobbling in that particular situation. Therefore, why would I worry? If Christ is in me and I'm seeking him, then why worry? But we do. But there's answers to that, and we're going to get to that hopefully here very shortly. Um, Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So the basis of our trust is found in Jesus who holds nothing back. Therefore, as kingdom members, our highest priority should always be to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. I don't know about you, but I don't worry about the big things. It's always those little itty irritating things that kind of get to me from time to time. But the big things, I just never, you know, I just don't worry because I just give it to the Lord. That sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not. It's all these little things like, which Jan going to make for, for supper tonight? Am I going to like it? What happens if I don't like it? I better worry about what her response is going to be. Those are the crazy little petty things that sometimes grab a hold of me. But it seems like the big major things, I got to hand on. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That you've helped me conquer some of these major issues. But God is, I believe that Jesus wrote this because he knew, he absolutely knows that we are going to worry about one thing or another, that we are going to worry. So, also, verse 33, all these things will be given to you as well. That's the deal. All of these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, if we put his kingdom first, he will supply all of our needs. If you have a big worry, a big need, Jesus is saying to you, put his kingdom first. You put him first in this, and he will supply that need. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Are you seeking to follow that truth? That is the key for me. Now, I was really struggling with coming up with some kind of an example to use here. And I thought about this a lot this week and because I wanted to say it correctly or not to give any wrong impressions about how God supplies our needs. I can only go from my own experience of how he supplies my needs. So I'm going to give it a shot, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. You know, for one second, you think I'm talking about me and how good or strong our faith is, then you're missing the whole point. The whole point is, God is the supplier of our needs. All he asks of us is to step out in faith and trust what he's supplying. So this is where I'm going with this. What is one of the major problems or concerns, worries that we have in our country? One of them is money. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money. Not because he said money's bad. It's how we place money in the grand scheme of life. 
Do we, do we make money our God? Do we make money the number one thing that we, that we seek after? We spend all of our energies on money, money, money. But we also know that we need money to live in this world, don't we? Need money to buy the groceries. Need money for health care. We need all sorts of money for everything. And then he says that he has supply all of our needs if we trust in him. Again, this is just my story. I've learned some 40 years ago that when God said, I'll supply all of your needs, and Paul said that, according to Jesus' glorious riches, I thought, does that include my money? It sure does. Then I read about tithing. I read about giving to God. So I made a decision way back then, no matter what, that I am going to give my money, which wasn't a lot, so God wasn't like, whoa, look at me. No, all my money to him. All my money concerns to him. I didn't want that to be a roadblock in my ministry and my life. So I figured, according to what I'm reading, that he would supply all my needs. So I basically said, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to put this into practice and see how it floats. So we fast forward to today. God has blessed us. Blessed us from nothing. When the pandemic hit, what, a couple years ago, Jan quit her job. Jan, being the senior, there's a fly. You see that one? Is it just me? Get away. Anyway, Jan was the highest paid nurse due to seniority. That job was gone. They didn't need the highest paid nurse. They were trying to cut their payroll, so she didn't quit. She was kind of, boom, ousted. And I understand that. I understand the dollars and cents. I would have done the same thing if I would have been that institution because they're trying to cut corners financially, so you take the one that's making the most. My point with all of that is, then we prayed, God, God, we have called on you time and again and asked you to help us and supply our needs. Here it is again. Here it is again. Then the thought came up to us, okay, our income has changed. And I'm looking, and we're looking at the economy today, wondering what's going to happen with this economy. We're into inflation, all these other kind of things. So we don't really know, do we, where all this is really going at this point. But for many people, their IRAs and their other investments are really rocky right now. So we're, de- we're dealing with that and investments. And so then the question came to us, What about our tithe?
We didn't hesitate. Status quo. We've been through this before. We're not trying to be heroes. We're trying to be obedient to our call that God has called us. Our call is different than your call, but we have to be obedient to your call. I said, we are not going to cave in. By the grace of Jesus, we are going to trust that once again, he will supply our needs. So we haven't changed our giving. I'm not lying. Some of you that count, you know, when we, you know our situation. I'm not trying to elevate that. I'm trying to elevate the one who supplies the needs. It's God. We depend on God to supply our needs for his glory. He knows what, we, what our needs are. And guess what? He's answering that prayer. God is good all the time. <coughs> now, hear me. I'm not asking for a collection for Denny, Pastor Denny, at the end of the service with a, you know, Jai Lee, would you put the, uh, uh, the offering box back there and write a little note on it for Pastor Denny and, and Miss Jan? I want you to see what God can do in the life of just average people. I want you to see that. We never, ever, in, in these 40 years, put money above our God. Never gave it a thought to do that. Not because we're so great, but just simply because we love our Lord. We want to serve him, and we want to follow him and trust him that he will supply our needs. That should drive my father-in-law nuts, by the way. What we do with our money and so on and so forth. Um, then Jesus, Jesus concludes in verse 34. What does he say here, my friends? He says, each day has enough trouble what? of its own. Today's problems are sufficient for today. Why what did Jesus say? Why did he say that? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Because if we let additional problems, worries in there, they will consume us. Jesus said, don't worry about it. <coughs> what about this bill? What about that bill? Oh, Jan, what are we going to do? Jesus said, no, no, don't worry about that. That's for another time, another situation. You just worry about today. Am I supplying your needs today? Have I ever let you down? I think sometimes God has to yell at us because, so we say, hello, you hear what I'm saying? He won't let you down. Whatever it is in your life, what you're going through, if you trust him, he will not let you down. That's his guarantee. As Christians, I believe that we are living in a time of great spiritual indifference. The light of Christ has become dim in our world, and it's flickering. Why? I believe it's because other things of this world are replacing the hunger for God. 
And I also believe that we are in desperate need for a Holy Spirit personal revival in this country, in our churches, in this world. It starts, for me, in the churches. We are called to be the light. We are called to be the witnesses. If we, if we're, if we are not the light, we're not the witnesses, then who's going to witness for Christ? He's called us, all of us, right? <coughs> Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Friends, revival begins when we pray using these three imperatives. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, notice something here. These words are recorded in the present tense, which suggests a continuous action. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Why? Because Jesus is listening. He's listening to me. He's listening to you. He's listening. He knows your needs. He knows everything about you and me. So he's listening. Therefore, therefore, we can be confident that he will respond as we ask, as we seek, as we knock, the door will be open to us, to you. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you right now. He's speaking to your heart. We need to understand, for he is the kind of Savior that we can rest in. He's the kind of Savior that we can trust. We can trust that he will, he will care for us. He's the kind of Savior that we can trust that he will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I cannot say that enough because I repeat that a lot in my own personal life. He cares for each and every one of us in this life and the life to come. You're down, you're concerned, whatever it is, Understand, you can rest in him. You can rest in Jesus. Just keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Like Jesus said, keep it up. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And he said, I will respond. And you will know it. And I'll set you free. I'm done, but I just want to say this. I've heard people through the years say something about about me. <clears> There's <throat> something that's kind of has always bothered me a little bit. I don't think not so much anymore, but you know me, whatever. And they say he takes his faith too seriously. That's what said. He takes his faith too seriously. You bet I do. You bet I do. And I don't apologize for that. When I hear the word of God, ask, seek, and knock, that's what I do. In the name of Jesus Christ, I don't care what somebody else thinks. I really don't. I get ticked off sometimes when I hear that, 
But at the end of the day, I don't care because I know that his word is truth. When Jesus speaks, we better listen. And when Jesus speaks, we better follow because that's the way to live life in its fullness, in Christ, seeking him first and his righteousness. I cannot say that enough. That's where it's at. If you're not, God loves you. I'm just saying, if you're not, and you're struggling in your areas, that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means you need to grow in that area. So that's why he's bringing it up to you, to grow in that area, to understand it. Don't try to deny it, but then try to make yourself stronger in faith in him. Jesus always comes to us, it seems to me, in our weaknesses. There's like a test. You know, he said, okay, do you believe this? Okay, I'm going to throw something that way, not to make you feel bad or get you agitated, but because I want you to grow. Because I want you to grow in this. You need to grow in this. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I cannot say it enough. From my experience in the faith, God is so absolutely, incredibly wonderful and he so, so supplies that I can come to him as his child. Almost like I can curl up in a ball and throw myself into his arms and say, Jesus, I just need you now. I need you in this. I need you so bad in this. He's my Lord. He's my dad. He's your Lord. He's your dad. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray right now, Lord, in this moment that Jesus, that you will touch. You will touch the hurting. You will touch those that are questioning if you're real. You will touch the doubters. You'll touch the skeptics. You'll touch a hard heart that just refuses to let you in. That you will touch the hurting body, mind, and spirit You'll touch the brokenhearted here today and reveal to them as they as they ask, as they seek, as they knock, that Jesus, you will open the door to healing, to refreshment, to new energy, to new hope new confidence, stronger faith. All characterized by courage that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name. for one last song.